Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Sam. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors. I have the privilege of, one of being one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our church, I want to welcome everyone. And it's great to see each and every one of you here for worship and for those who are worshiping with us, what, with us online. We just want to say thank you for joining us. It's good to have you. Now, if you're here in this room, um, or possibly maybe tuning in online, and it's your first time, maybe you're a guest of one of our church members or our attenders, uh, it's really great to have you. Possibly you're just visiting, you're coming through town and just looking for a place to worship, and if that's the case, hope this is a place of rest and, and renewal for you. And, and maybe you're exploring the Christian faith or possibly searching for a new Christian community or uh, a church family. If that's the case, once again, welcome. And uh, it's so good to have you. I sincerely hope that everyone, though, no matter where you're coming from today, that you'll experience God's presence this morning, that you'll feel his embrace, and that you will learn of the goodness, grace, and the hope that is offered through Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Today, as Tim has mentioned, as my wife has prayed, and hopefully a lot of us are already aware, that our, our ministry year officially kicks off. And along with that, today we kick off a new sermon series called Getting the Gospel Right. Uh, throughout the fall, we're going to be preaching through the book of Galatians, where the author, the Apostle Paul, sought to address and to correct any confusion and distortion when it came to the gospel. Now, he wanted the believers of Galatia to get the gospel right because the consequences of getting the gospel wrong leads to a life of despair, of bondage, confusion, and darkness instead of what Jesus intends for his redeemed people, which is freedom, joy, and light. So as a result of our study over the coming weeks, we pray that uh, the book of Galatians will encourage, challenge, and equip us to experience and live out the ministry theme, which is on my left to your right, uh, for this year, which is walking as children of light, pursuing truth and beauty in a time of confusion and distortion. So would you meet me, friends, in the book of Galatians, if you would open up on your apps or in your Bibles, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses from chapter 1, so Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Here is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who, was, who raised him from the dead, and to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present, the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you, have, you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's bow in prayer once more, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being you, the unchanging one, the tireless one, the God who neither sleeps nor slumbers, who's always watching over us, leading us, and calling us to yourself. I thank you for each and every person in this building and especially in this room. May they sense your nearness, hear your voice, be reminded of, of the, the greatest news of all, the news that can heal and forgive and transform. So, Father, would you open our ears and our hearts to you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Five months ago, my wife and I entered a, a milestone, a season of life that we knew would eventually come. And honestly, I was nervous, fearful, um, yeah, to say the least. Well, five months ago, in a span of six weeks, both my daughters got their driver's license and are now driving on their own. <laughs> I'm reminded, I, sh I share that milestone because it reminds me of a story of another dad, a pastor down in the south, who similarly, as he was entering the stage of his family life, he felt prompted to assure his kids that they were more important than the car they would be driving, especially during their first year as a driver. Since his kids were young, inexperienced, and nervous, he understood that sometimes accidents can happen. Therefore, he wrote a handwritten note in advance, put it into the glove compartment of the car, and clipped it to the car's registration and insurance card. And this is what he wrote on that note. If you have found this document, it means either a police officer has pulled you over, or you have been in an accident. First, I hope you are okay and that no one was hurt. But I also hope that you hear my voice saying to you, you are more important to me than any car. Cars can be painted and fixed. Sometimes people can't. I love you and I hope you're okay. Give me a call when the officer leaves so that I know that you are okay, love, dad. But then he added a little postscript. If you were speeding, I hope you learned your lesson. <laughs> Never forget the beating of your heart when you saw the flashing light in your rearview mirror. This is a true story, as you can tell. So much honesty in that note. Now, similarly, the Apostle Paul writes a powerful and personal letter to his spiritual children in Galatia to make sure that they remember and have a clear, correct, and right understanding of what's most important, true, and beautiful. It's the gospel, which is the foundation of their faith and yours and mine. So here's the preview of the sermon that I'll be walking us through. Here it is. As we start off the series, Getting the Gospel Right, the ministry theme of uh, uh, walking as children of light, pursuing truth and beauty in a time of confusion and distortion. Here it is. The foundation of our faith 
is built entirely upon the integrity of the gospel. The foundation of our faith is built entirely upon the integrity of our gospel. Now, why does the integrity of the gospel matter? There are three reasons that I believe Paul lists here. It's number one, it's good news for both the unrighteous and the self-righteous. Number two, distortions lead to deserting the one who loves us most. And then freedom, our freedom from striving for approval depends on it. So let's start with the first reason. It is good news for both the unrighteous and the self-righteous. The Galatian believers were getting confused. They were getting mixed up about the gospel because false teachers named the Judaizers were teaching a false, misleading, and distorted gospel by emphasizing this, that in order to be a true follower of Jesus, one needed to follow the Old Testament law and ceremonies in addition to believing in Christ. Therefore, Paul defines, defends, and drives home the essence of the gospel that believers are saved, rescued, and redeemed by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and not through any righteousness of their own, but rather Christ's imputed righteousness upon them. The theological term is justification by faith. Now, Paul doesn't waste any time in this letter. In the very, early, in the very beginning, he, doesn't, he gets right down to business by clearly defining and explaining the essence of the gospel in the first five verses. Look there with me, if you would, as he introduces himself as an apostle. But he says, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, right away, he points to the cross of Christ. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever. Amen. He is reminding them, and I believe we also need a reminder today and every day that at the heart of the gospel, it's good news for both the sinner, which is the unrighteous. Now, the sinner or the unrighteous are the ones who don't believe that they will ever be worthy of God's love. In other words, their past, their failures, their regrets, their guilt, and their shame disqualify them from ever being loved and accepted by God. So he's speaking to those who fall into that kind of mindset. I'm so unrighteous. I'm such a sinner. There's no way God could ever love me. But at the same time, he's also speaking to those who seek to be self-sufficient or self-righteous. And, and those who are self-sufficient and self-righteous are those who feel that they have to earn God's love. They need to deserve his love through behavior or certain kind of things in their lives and to be worthy of God's love. So the good news is this, that the gospel is for both. So wherever you fall on that spectrum in, in either column, it, the gospel is for you. But what makes this good news really good? It's this. Friends, lean in here. It's not actually about me or up to me. It's actually not about you or up to you. But rather, the news is all about 
God. Friends, it's about God. It's about his heart, his character, his sovereign plan, and his son's sacrifice. What he alone has done for you and for me and for a lost, broken, and dying world. Paul also references this in Romans chapter 5. He says this, look with me there. For while we were still weak or helpless, we couldn't help ourselves. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would would dare even die. But verse 8, it says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Did you catch that? Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, he drives it home as well in 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There is the summary of the essence of the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing before you can start to take any pride or self-sufficiency, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. John Stott puts it this way. Uh, the, The quote is on the screen. The gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Amen? It's not an invitation for us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has already done. It's not a demand. It's It's an offer. Friends, is that reminder coming at a good time for you? That it's not about advice, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's not about what you have to do, haven't done, need to do more of. It's not about a demand, the burdens of what it means to to try to live up to God's standards. It's an offer. It's a declaration. It's news. Paul's gospel, the biblical gospel, is clear that salvation from first to last is all God's doing. It's his calling. It's his plan, his action, and his work. As a result, he alone deserves all honor, praise, and glory for all time. That's why Paul, as he is again getting, recapping the essence of the gospel, verses 4 and 5, he just breaks down an adoration and doxology. He says, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. He's moved by this amazing news that the gospel is not up to him. But it's all about God. Friends, there's one thing we can take off all our lists starting today. It's being worthy of God's love or trying to keep God's love. Amen? It's good news for the unrighteous and the self-righteous. That's the integrity. Because the integrity of the gospel is at, is, 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 it's what, it's at hand. The second reason why the integrity of the gospel matters is this. Distortion leads to desertion. Distortion leads to desertion. Distortion leads to deserting the one who loves us most. 
Friends, whenever we, I hear the term, or some of us maybe have this, uh, this false notion that something that is theological is just kind of something cerebral. Friends, theological, that, wh- that which is theological is relational. Let me say that again. There is no separation in the scriptures. That is why we study theology, because it's about intimacy. Theology is about intimacy. That which is theo- theological is relational. He connects the two. We cannot never separate the two. So distortions about the gospel leads to discerning the one who loves us most. Now, normally, Paul's letters, if you're familiar with his epistles, they start off with a tone of thanksgiving and praise and just warm greetings. And when I think of Paul as he opens most of his epistles, now, just this is the image I have, okay? And again, there's, this is being, me being trying to be creative here. I, I, I see most of his epistles like him having a big bouquet of flowers in one arm and a big basket of wine and cheese and crackers and, and chocolates in the other, just saying, I love you guys. I pray for you guys. You're my spiritual children. Normally, that's like the tone and the image I get when Paul is writing. Is I can see tears just dripping onto the parchment because he loves them and misses them so much. However, in this, gospel, in this epistle, it's not that. After the first five verses, he quickly and honestly gets to what's on his heart. Look with me in verse 6. He says something that is not common in Paul's writings. He says, I'm astonished. I'm baffled. I'm bewildered. I'm lost here, friends, that you are quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. That's... uh, that's why he's so emotional and the, from the onset of this, la, uh, this letter because the stakes are so high. They're deserting the one who loves them and they're turning to a different gospel, which he says actually later on that it's not, uh, it's not really a gospel at all. He's personally disheartened, disappointed that these believers were believing a false and a distorted gospel, and they are quickly deserting. Look with me in verse 6. He says, quickly deserting, rapidly deserting the God who loves them, who knows them, and who called them. That phrase, quickly, uh, quickly deserting, it, it echoes Israel's history of when they're in the wilderness that we read about in Exodus chapter 32, in the story of the, the, the great Exodus after God brings them and delivers them out of bondage and enslavement in Egypt, the Israelites, while they're in the wilderness, they quickly turn from the same God who saved them, and they start worshiping a human-made idol, the golden calf. Many of us know that story. So this phrase, quickly deserting, Paul is alluding to something similar in Israel's past. That word deserting in the original language literally means to transfer one's allegiance. It's also used in a military context of a soldier who abandons their post or revolts or deserts their commission and their mission. Or someone who changes sides politically or philosophically. It's someone who used to be in one, one position, one identity, who changes it. It's changing of allegiance. And that's why Paul, he gets right down to it. And he's astonished because these young Christians are taking hold of a gospel that really isn't a gospel. That's what he says in verse 7. Look there with me. Not that there's even another one, but there are some who trouble you. Speaking of the Judaizers, the false teachers, 
who want to distort the gospel of Christ. The false teachers were actually, the word distort literally means to pervert, which in the original language, it's, to, it's a complete reversal. Isn't that interesting? He says, when you preach and teach anything other than the gospel that he just kind of outlined in the first five verses, you're actually reversing the gospel. It's antithetical to the gospel. It is no gospel at all. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, he writes this, and he helps us to understand what he means by the reversal. It says this, God called us. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We didn't call him. He, called, he chose us. Do you realize you're chosen? The way I put it is this. You didn't apply for early action, early decision with God. But before the foundations of the earth, he recruited you and chose you. Amen? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> we didn't call him. He called us. And God accepts us right away despite our lack of merit. Wow. That is the order of the gospel. God accepts us, then we follow him. But the other religious systems have it the other way around. We must give God something, and then he accepts us. Tim Keller, he, he, does, he explains this in so many different ways. In other words, he says that we have to have, make sure the indicative of what God has done informs and governs and guides the imperative how we should live. In other words, not that I, 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 not that I, um, uh, I obey God, therefore he loves me. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves me, therefore I obey. And to get those orders mixed up, it's a reversal. It's actually not the gospel at all. In essence, the Galatians were forsaking the gospel of grace and exchanging for a gospel of works. No wonder they were quickly deserting. Because if it's all up to you, friends, just think about it. If your faith was all up to you, wouldn't you give up on it? It's all about what you have to earn or stay in favor with God. But thankfully, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And, and I would say this, any teaching or any culture of a church or ministry that adds keeping laws, especially like ceremonial laws or human-made rules and regulations to faith in Christ is a perversion of the heart of and the essence of the gospel. Therefore, Paul does something pretty severe because everything is at stake here. Look with me in verse 8 and 9. He pronounces a curse on anyone who would preach something other than the gospel, perverts the gospel. He, he, he repeats himself twice. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats himself in verse 9. Just trying to drive home the point. The phrase angel from heaven in verse 8 it might actually be an illusion or uh, it might be connecting to acknowledging Satan's ability, because we read about it in 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, to masquerade as an angel of light. Or maybe more so, just emphasizing that even a divine messenger, they don't have any authority to change the truth of the gospel. Friends, tragically... And if you've been in Christian circles, uh, been in Christian kind of communities long enough, 
Tragically, this is not just an issue or problem for the first century church, is it? It's, it's a problem even in our day and age, where there is subtle and yet dangerous confusion and distortion of the gospel. So whenever Christian or church leaders or teachers or pastors or anybody who have kind of a spiritual authority start exalting humanity, implying that we can contribute anything to our salvation by our morality, piety, religious activity, respectability, or even philosophy, the gospel of grace is being compromised and corrupted. It's something we need to be well aware of not just about the history of the church, but even the church in the present day and age. You know, this young church, the Galatians, thankfully, they survived. Not only did they survive, they matured, they thrived, they grew stronger, healthier, and more fruitful, at least in part because Paul was not afraid to tell them what they needed to hear, not just what they wanted to hear. The mark of a gospel-centered church and a spirit-filled leadership is they will lovingly correct, humbly address, and clearly confront any false teachings that compromise the truth, the beauty, and the integrity of the gospel. So over the course of the year, we're going to touch on a lot of topics. A lot of things that in our day and age are hot-button topics, controversial topics, but we must let the Bible, and especially the gospel, inform, govern, and guide how we approach them and deal with them. Colossians chapter 6, 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Actually, evidence of God's word dwelling richly in a believer or in a community is also this. It's teaching. And admonishing, admonishing one another in wisdom, along with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Friends, uh, thank God that Paul, because he believes the gospel, he, he, he wants to protect the integrity of the gospel, and he knows what's at stake. Again, theology is intimacy. What is theological is relational. He says, don't distort this, guys. Don't buy into this perversion because it leads to deserting the one who loves you most. Thirdly and lastly, and it's a brief point, the third reason why the integrity of the gospel matters, not just then but here and now in our lives today, is it's our freedom. It's our freedom from striving for approval. Our freedom from striving for approval depends on it. Lastly and briefly, that when the integrity of the gospel is celebrated, it's honored, it's protected, faithfully taught and preached, and ultimately believed and trusted. It leads to freedom. Freedom from seeking and living for the approval of others, peers, and even those you admire. And so much freedom that, uh, that if needed and when called upon, that you would correct and confront those who distort and pervert a Christ-centered and grace-based understanding of the gospel. And that's why in verse 10, he just makes this case. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were to try to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, I already have God's approval. I already have his acceptance. I have his unconditional love, therefore, because I'm not seeking to please anyone. I want to build up people. I want people to see God for who they really are. I'm free to be me. 
I'm free to honestly, accurately, humbly, boldly preach the gospel. When the truth, the beauty, and the integrity of the gospel defines and governs our identity, our security, our sense of value and worth and significance, brothers and sisters, here's the great news of the good news. On the other side is we can experience a joy, a peace, and a freedom that this world cannot offer or match, nor even understand. But it's a peace, joy, and freedom that Jesus knew, that Jesus was filled with, that that really personified and marked his ministry. He experienced this joy, peace, and freedom due to the loving approval and the unconditional acceptance of his father from day one up until the time he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. And here's the the great, great part of that. If Jesus experienced it, and by his spirit he lives within us, He wants to offer that to all of us as well. In Mark chapter 1, here's here's kind of uh, what highlights the freedom and joy and peace that Jesus was able to walk in because he embodied the gospel. It says this in Mark chapter 1, In the days when Jesus from Nazareth of of Galilee and was about to be baptized by John in the Jordan, this is before Jesus launches into public ministry, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. In verse 11, don't miss this. A voice came from heaven, straight from his father. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's the freedom that the gospel uniquely offers all those who believe that the gospel is true and beautiful. That we're beloved already. With us, God is already well pleased. One pastor put it this way. He said this, and the quote is not on the screen, but let me just read it aloud. You know you're getting it, which is the gospel, when there's nothing to prove and no one to impress. That you get this idea, he says, that you don't have to prove anything to anybody. I don't have to prove anything to even God. And I don't have to impress anybody because God is already impressed with me, not because of my work, but because of Jesus' work, not because of my moral record, but because of Jesus' moral record. And yet, a lot of us don't feel free. Boy, you know, we had dinner with some friends um, who were in town. It was just such an unexpected blessing. I've known them since my seminary days over 20 years. Uh, and then this friend, uh, this couple, Elton and Sarah, I remember Sarah just sharing about the cycle of works that she was kind of processing in her own life and spiritual journey. And the way, the metaphor she used was this, and it still resonates with me. She says, she describes her spiritual life like someone pushing a boulder up a hill. Just got to keep going, keep pressing on. And then, sadly and often, she slips and the boulder rolls down the hill. And then she has to start again, and with all her might, all her strength, inch by inch, foot by foot, try to get the boulder up the hill. As she was describing that, I was about to cry. Just 
Because that's not the free life that Jesus envisioned. That's not the free life that Jesus modeled. She described me. Friends, there's good news for Sarah. There's good news for me. There's good news for you. We don't have to keep pushing a boulder up a hill, amen? Because there's a Savior who died on a hill, amen? And he didn't push a boulder. He carried a cross, amen? We're on that cross. All of our guilt, all of our junk, all of our sins, all of our garbage, all of our regrets, all of our shame, he took it all upon him so that we would be invited into a life of joy, peace, and freedom to walk as children of light. And thank God that boulder, he didn't have to push a boulder. He kicked the boulder open three days later, amen? Once and for all, there is no more boulders for you and I to push and carry and push up a hill because Jesus knocked the ultimate boulder, the, the boulder of death, the boulder of the final, final victory of the enemy. He conquered it when he rose again to promise and offer us and give us a picture of new life in him. That's the gospel. That's why our faith, the foundation of it rests solely upon the gospel because it rests solely upon what God and Jesus has accomplished for us. Amen? Let's, let's bow in prayer. I'm just going to leave you with three prayer prayer invitations. And I'm just going to list three things, kind of like summaries of my message and invite you to pray for one or more. Maybe the first thing I would like for you to pray for is this, and ask God to deepen your love, your appreciation, and your passion for the gospel. You can't do that on your own, obviously. That's something we do in community, through the means of grace of community. And that's why being part of a community group, a men's and women's Bible study, a journey group, it's, it's absolutely non-negotiable to experience and grow in the gospel. Would you pray that God would deepen your love, your passion, your appreciation for the truth, the beauty, and the integrity of the gospel. The second thing to pray for is humility, wisdom, and discernment about recognizing how maybe you've distorted the gospel. You've misunderstood the gospel. You've reversed the gospel. You've exchanged God's grace for your own works. And if that's you, maybe it's time to admit it. God, I got it all mixed up. I don't know where and how, but I got it all mixed up. God, would you reverse my reversal once and for all? Again, I'm loved, therefore. You have already done this, therefore. It's not a demand, it's an offer. If that's you, would you ask God to just renew your heart, repent, especially if maybe even, this is, this is for me, if that's how you made other people around you feel, that they, their, their worth and their merit and their value is based on what they do, oh God, lead me in repentance because it does not represent the gospel, which is the foundation of our faith. And lastly, if, if you, you're, you're not afraid of what others will say about you, or what they think of you, or their opinions of you don't matter as much as what God thinks of you and what he's already said about you? Would you pray for divine appointed opportunities to be a witness for Christ? 
Maybe it's that neighbor, that friend, that high school friend, that college friend, that coworker. Maybe it's that family member that next time you see them, can you just say, hey, can I share with you something that's been on my mind? That's really important to me? And just share about Jesus. So would you pray, because if you're free from what people think, that you would just share about the one whose, whose thoughts matter the most in your life. Deepen your love, your appreciation, your passion, for humility, wisdom, and discernment, and pray for opportunities and for God to grant you courage to seize those, to, to preach and to share and to witness to the goodness and the grace of the gospel. Would you just pray for those, one of those things, and I'll close this in just a few seconds. I won't go long. Heavenly Father, for some of us, we don't know where to begin, and that's okay. Meet them where they are. Some people are not just pushing a boulder, they're living under the weight of a boulder. God, would you lift it? Would you carry it for them? Would you come alongside them? God, I pray for those who here are maybe seeking, searching, they're wondering. I pray they would hear loud and clear from you, most of all. That there is a God who loves, who sees, who cares, who's waiting, who's already done all that is needed for them to experience the joy, freedom, and life that you uniquely offer. I pray for all of us, Lord God, in this coming week, may the gospel sink in and soak and saturate our hearts and minds even more so that we would be free to be who you've called us to be, to be salt and light into this world. Lord, uh, only this is possible by your grace and by your spirit. Would you fill us now, even as we sing and respond to you? And it's in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.